So we're going to be in Psalm 106 tonight. We will read through the whole psalm, and hopefully I'll be able to touch on most of the points. I just want to take a little time to tie in. Uh, last week we had talked, and we actually read verses 1 through 6 uh, about this psalm. And just to t tie the two studies together, originally when the Lord kind of spoke to me, I was reading Psalm 106, and the, the scriptures just kind of came, and, and that's how the original study was birthed out of that, just conviction from the Lord and instruction in, in Psalm 106. And then from there, uh, the Lord kind of led me to 1 Corinthians 10, which we were in last week. And so we're going to be in Psalm 106. And just for a way of reminder, we talked how Psalm 106 is the psalmist looking back to the fathers, um, and, and he talked about they committed iniquity. So he's talking back to the children of Israel when they were coming out of Exodus. And our study last week was the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And what the Apostle Paul was doing is he was pointing the Corinthians in chapter 10 back to the forefathers, which would be who we're going to be you know, studying and learning about tonight. And he was pointing them back to them. And remember, we talked the last uh, study, the uh, title was Instructed by Their Scars. So what he was saying is what happened to the Israelites were a model, uh, if you will, a, a stamp or a scar in which the Corinthians should learn so they don't repeat that. So again, that our main uh, verse last week was 1 Corinthians 10, 11, when he talked and warned the Corinthian believers about looking back to the forefathers. And then I just wanted to touch real briefly, we had talked about, in context, we were going through the different chapters, Paul was talking about some of the difficulties that the Corinthian church was having, and then in, in our text, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10 was, moreover, and I had talked about that being um, the reverse of normally you have the cause and then the effect. Well, that, that's a, um, a key word there. That, that's a substantiation. So what he was studying or, or teaching and what we studied last week in, in chapter 10 was, was the cause. The effect was we talked about in most of chapter 9 and the end of chapter 9, Paul was writing to the Corinthians and telling them how he wanted to finish his race, how he conducted his ministry. So by way of kind of just an overview, I wanted to touch base there, and we had also talked about the warning that uh, I used the example from uh, Floyd's Hill in Colorado with the very steep grade, and we had talked about one of the reasons why most of us don't heed warnings is is probably because of our two worst enemies is self-reliance and pride. So I just want us to keep that in mind. And then we also talked about having a humble mind and not necessarily looking at the Corinthians and, you know, the errors that they had um, in, in just their walk, not looking at it, you know, with a, a critical eye, but wanting to learn. Well, we'll do the same thing tonight because the psalmist is going to point us back to the children of Israel, and as they were exiting Egypt, just the, the struggles that they had. So we're going to talk about that tonight also. And I think this is a, a perfect timing. Uh, Pastor Tim, when he asked me a couple weeks ago, 
asked if I could um, you know, teach for a couple weeks. He is going to be starting in the book of Exodus, because as you know, he just finished Genesis. Well, it happens to be that tonight, um, as you can see from the, um, the screen, a lot of, of the cross-references were going to be going back to the book of Exodus. So um, this is kind of a nice little prelude to uh, Pastor Tim taking us through the entire book. And so we're going to get just a little a glimpse maybe of, of what's to come in, in the book of Exodus. So when we look at the author and, and intent of Psalm 106, I, as I mentioned last week, some of the scholars are, are debate, and I don't think it really matters. Um, a lot of them attribute it to David, but irregardless, the, the, um, the psalmist is referring back to the iniquities of the children of Israel uh, post-leaving Egypt. So I think that's very important. Uh, the psalmist, what we're going to read tonight, is, is primarily referencing the period of Moses leading them out of Egypt and on the trek to Canaan. And, and again, we're going to see some of the scriptures we're going to talk about tonight and see are maybe a little more in-depth of the scriptures that we used last week, 1 Corinthians 10. You're going to see a lot of um, interwoven scriptures and maybe it developed a little more in the scriptures, but essentially we're going to be seeing in detail what Paul was talking about uh, last week. And then, um, and, and again, it's going to talk about Israel's disobedience. You know, I'm just touching on a few of these. Lusting, their tempting God, their idolatry, and just their, their faithlessness. Um, the good thing for us, and we're going to see at the end of the psalm, is despite all of this, the Lord is going to be faithful to honor his covenant with his people. And we can say that, He's faithful to honor his covenant with us if we are his children. Um, Warren Wiersbe, I just wanted to comment on this. I thought he summed up real well in just a few words regarding this psalm. He said, the purpose of the psalm is not to condemn Israel, but to extol the Lord for his long-suffering and mercy towards his people. And again, it's real easy when we read, we're going to see, you know, they did some things that were not very wise and, and, and that were sinful. But I love the way he captured that because it's real easy to just say, how could they do that? Why would they do that? You know, the Lord showed them himself so faithful. Why did they do that? And I love the way Warren Wiersbe ties it up to say, it's really showing, pointing us towards the long suffering of God towards his people. And I would like to draw attention to 106 verse 9. I will, um, we won't necessarily spend a lot of time in 9, but I'm going to talk a lot about the, the part where he it talks about, he rebuked the Red Sea, it was dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And I'm going to, during the study, camp on that point a lot, led them through the depths. Um, I think it's very key, and you'll know in a few minutes why I, I believe that that is key. But just remember that key principle that it was the Lord who led the Israelites through the depths as through the wilderness. Um, I will have quite a few cross-references. Um, just I'll try to speak slow just for time's sake. I haven't put all of them up here. Uh, the first one considering that the Lord was the one who led them through the depths, um, I, I wanted to just quote some, 
New Testament scriptures. John 10.27. When the Lord said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then John 10.14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. And then in John 10.15, he says, As the Father knoweth me, even so I knoweth the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then Matthew 18, 12, without reading the whole scripture, all of us know that very well where he talks about the shepherd will leave the 99 to find the one stray sheep. And I want to take a little time before we get into reading all of the psalm and then dissecting the, the, the different parts of it and really belabor the part about a sheep. I, I just We talked about God leading through the wilderness. I just quoted some New Testament scriptures that talk about our Lord being the good shepherd. And so just, if you let me belabor the point for a little bit, and you'll see why when we get into the text. Um, and really this, this can be like a one application point for all of us when we get in the text to just remind us as we're reading the text and as we see the children of Israel and the Lord working with them, that we would, you know, be making the application to ourselves. Um, So again, I'm going to just take a little time to belabor the point, and I think it very interesting. We believe that God's word is inspired. Well, God could have chose, and you're right, um, my, my spiders hear my voice and they follow me. My uh, giraffe, whatever the animal is, there's a reason why, and you're going to see, there's a reason why the Lord chose the shepherd analogy, the sheep analogy. You see it over and over and over again. Uh, Philip Keller, I've made reference before. Um, I highly suggest if you've never read uh, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. He was a prolific writer, but he, he literally was a, um, a sheep uh, farmer for many, many years, and he, he wrote a book comparing it to our walk with the Lord. He had said that uh, sheep left to themselves, they can actually trample down the same ground to the point that it becomes corrupted with disease and parasites, something that I did not know. And he said there's a misconception. A lot of people think that you can take a a sheep and that they can get along anywhere. He said that's actually not true. He says there's no other class of livestock that requires such careful handling and detailed direction as sheep. And he said that sheep left unchecked and guided will gnaw the grass to such a point that they will gnaw it down and even damage the roots that the grass will no longer grow. And he said in his uh, years of, of being a shepherd that the greatest safeguard for himself in handling the sheep, by, by far the greatest safeguard was keep them on the move. And again, we're going to develop this a little bit and I usually don't do this, but I I believe it's very important before we start. I want to just read two segments from his book. So the first uh, two paragraphs, he says, First of all, Scripture points out that most of us are self, are stiff-necked and stubborn lot. We prefer to follow our own fancies and turn to our own ways. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah 53, 6. And this we do deliberately, 
repeatedly, even to our own disadvantage. There is something almost terrifying about the destructive self-determination of a human being. It is interlocked with personal pride and self-assertion. We insist we know what is best for us, even though the disastrous results may be self-evident. Just as sheep will blindly, habitually, stupidly follow one another along the same little trails until they become ruts that erode into gigantic gullies, so we humans cling to the same habits that we have seen ruin other lives. Turning to my own way simply means doing what I want. It implies that I feel, I feel free to assert my own wishes and carry out my own ideas, and this I do in spite of every warning. And again, I read this because we, we're reading God's word because we want to learn what not to do, and we want to obviously do what the Lord wants us to do. This one's a little bit longer, and again, I'm reading this because I, I'm obviously tying it into we're going to learn about the wandering of the Jewish people. We're going to talk about Again, last uh, week we talked, a month and a half they should have been, make, been able to make the journey. It took them 40 years. What I just uh, read about uh, our self-assertion, our stubbornness, even when we know what's to do right, this, this is what was going on with the Israelites. Another similarity here with sheep. So he says, a cast sheep, that's what they call it, is a very pathetic sight. Lying on its back, its feet in the air, it flays away frantically, struggling to stand up without success. Sometimes it will bleat a little for help, but generally it lies there lashing about in fright and frustration. If the owner does not arrive on the scene within a reasonable short time, the sheep will die. This is but another reason why it is so essential for a, a careful sheepman to look over his flock every day, counting them to see that all are able to be up and on their feet. If one or two are missing, often the first thought to flash into his mind, one of my sheep is cast somewhere. I must go and search and set it on its feet again. One particular ewe that I owned in a flock of uh, was notorious for being a cast sheep. Every spring, when she became heavy in lamb, it was not uncommon for her to become cast every second or third day. Only my diligence made it possible for her to survive from one season to the next. One year, I had to be away from the ranch for a few days just when she was having her problems. So I called my young son aside and told him he would be responsible for her well-being while I was absent. If he managed to keep her on her feet until I came home, he would be well paid for his efforts. Every evening after school, he went out to the fields faithfully and set up the old ewe so she could survive. It was quite a task, but she rewarded us with a fine pair of twin lambs that spring. It is not only the shepherd who keeps a sharp eye for cast sheep, but also the predators. Buzzards, vultures, dogs, coyotes, and cougars all know that a cast sheep is easy prey and death is not far off. This knowledge that any cast sheep is helpless, close to death and vulnerable to attack, makes the whole problem of cast sheep serious for the manager. Nothing seems to so arouse his constant care and diligent attention to the flock as the fact that even the largest, fattest, strongest, and sometimes healthiest sheep can become cast and be a casualty. 
Actually, it is often the fat sheep that are the most easily cast. The way it happens is this. A heavy, fat, or long fleece sheep will lie down comfortably in some little hollow or depression in the ground. It may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. Suddenly, the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that the feet no longer touch the ground. It may feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. Frequently, this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. As it lies there struggling, gases begin to build up in the rumen. As these expand, they tend to retard and cut off blood circulation to extremities of the body, especially the legs. If the weather is very hot and sunny, a cast sheep can die in a few hours. If it is cool and cloudy and rainy, it may survive in this position for several days. Again, I don't read that to uh, make this a very bleak study, but the point is, and we're going to talk about this, the point is the Lord in his scriptures have, have referenced us to sheep. We read what really happens to a sheep. We're going to learn about the Israelites today that they were, they were wandering, they were being led. Um, it took them much longer to get where they needed to, and it wasn't without a lot of adversity. The point is, we could talk all night just about what he wrote. There's many applications in there, um, but, but the reality is we have a, sh a shepherd, the good shepherd, that is caring for us, whether we roll over and, and are flailing on our back like that sheep, you know, he's there. And tonight we have his word to uh, use as instruction to help us. And, that, and that's what we, uh, we pray for. So, Israel's wandering. One to one and a half months we know. It should have taken and it took them 40 years. So before we read, very quick outline, just four points. We're going to talk about the praise of God. We see that in verses 1 through 5. Then in verses 6 through through 42, we're going to talk and look at the plight of God's children. And then in verses 9 through 11, we're going to look at the power of God. And then in verses 43 and 48, we're going to look at the promises of God. Psalm 106. Praise ye the Lord, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thy inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he was led through the depths as through the wilderness. He led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him, that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, there was not one of them left. 
Then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works, they waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp, and Aaron the saint to the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed the glory, their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land, they believed not his word, but murmured in their tents, and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lift up his hand against them, to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor, and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions, and the plague break in upon them. Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed, and that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all the generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen, the heathen, and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen, and they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant, and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. So a lot of stuff in there, and, and some of it I'm sure you remember from last week because it, it was um, referenced uh, Phineas, for example, when he went in and, 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 and stuck the jav, javelin uh, the, through um, the, um, the Israelite and the Moabite woman. You know, there's many different things here that we referenced last week, but we're going to talk a, a little more in depth uh, this week. Again, in a way of um, reminding um, verses 1 through 5, the psalmist is, you know, praising the Lord 
saying who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord, just acknowledging the Lord and who he is, and then from there, um, you know, we'll go into the plight of God's children. So you just see praise and thanks. He, he says that, you know, the Lord's mercy endures forever, which aren't we glad for that? Um, he, the psalmist is asking the Lord that he would uh, remember him and... And so I just think that's a great way to start out extolling the Lord. And again, we see at the end, we will close with praising and extolling the Lord. So if we look at the plight of God's children, I just want to, um, you don't have to go to each scripture because we're going to go through them, but I, I just pulled out some words that um, are verbs or the actions of the Israelites, which obviously every one of these that I'm going to mention, just very quickly touching on some of them, are you know, in a negative uh, connotation, but I just thought it would kind of summed up everything. So we have verse 7, they provoked him at the Red Sea. Verse 13, they forgot his works and waited not for his counsel. Verse 14, they lusted and tempted God. Verse 16, they envied Moses. Verse 19, they worshipped a molten image. Verse 21, again, they forgot their God. In verse 24, they despise the pleasant land, and then they believed not his word. So they did not have faith in what God said. Verse 25, they murmured. Verse 28, they joined themselves to, we talked last week about Baal Prior, that was the false god of the Moabites. Um, they provoked him. They mingled themselves among heathen, and they served their idols. And then verse 39, they went whoring with their own inventions. And again, inventions in, in, in context are, is not a good thing. But I just thought it was kind of a, a short way of just highlighting some of the, uh, the main um, things that it caused problems for God's children as, as they were exiting uh, Egypt. So let's look at verse 7. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Um, so they, they, they didn't understand the wonders in Egypt. And we're going to go through just a couple of them. If, uh, we should be able to very easily just make our way because we're going to progressively go. We'll start in Exodus chapter 8 and then with the scripture references on the screen, we will just work our way through. So the first wonder that the Lord did in Egypt for one of the wonders that he did was the plague of frogs brought upon the Egyptians. And I would like to read it. And again, it's good to read God's word, but in context, seven said the, under, the fathers didn't understand the wonders in Egypt, but they provoked him later on. So I thought it would be good if we would read some of these wonders that the Lord did. So chapter 8 verses 1 through 6. And the Lord spake unto Moses, go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into thy house and into thy bedchamber, and upon thy bed, and into the house of the servants, and upon thy people, and into thy ovens, and into thy kneading troughs. And the frogs shall come up both on thee, and upon thy people, and upon all thy servants. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thy hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. So that was one of the wonders that the Lord did, and the Israelites were able to see um, how he you know, struck, struck the land of Egypt. If we could uh, move over to chapter 9, we're going to look at the pestilences that the Lord brought amongst the Egyptian cattle in Exodus 9, chapters or uh, verses 1 through 7. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if thou refuse to let them go, and will hold them still, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. And the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow, and all the cattle of Egypt died, but the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And we're not going to go through the whole exodus of, you know, things happen. Pharaoh, you know, says, I'll let you go, and he doesn't. But, I mean, look at that wonder. The Lord supernaturally just separated that all of, all of the Egyptian cattle died, and not one of the cattle of Israel died. The Egyptians saw it. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart was, you know, hardened because of it. And the Israelites saw what happened to their enemies' cattle, but yet their cattle was spared. And then if we can go over to Exodus chapter 10, we'll start with verses 4 through 7. Uh, this is where the locust was unleashed upon Egypt. So chapter 10, verses 4 through 7. As he's uh, speaking... Uh, to uh, Pharaoh, he says, Else if thou, if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow will I bring locusts into the coast, and they shall cover the face of the earth, that one cannot be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of that which is escaped, which remaineth unto you from the hail, and shall eat every tree which groweth for you out of the field." And they shall fill thy houses, and the houses of all thy servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither thy fathers nor thy mothers or thy father's fathers have seen since the day that they were upon the earth unto this day. And he turned himself and went out from Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's servants said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest Thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed. So we see yet another one, the locust that was unleashed on Egypt. And, and if we go down to 12 through 15 in the same uh, chapter, Exodus 10. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thy hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up upon the land, and eat every herb of the land, even all that the hail hath left. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in all the coasts of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no such locusts as they, neither after them shall be such. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened, and they did eat every herb of the land and all the fruits of the trees which the hail had left. And there remained not any green thing in the trees or in the herbs of the field through all the land of Egypt. So the Lord brought locusts unleashed upon Egypt. It was told to Pharaoh, he did not listen, and he spoke through you know, his mouthpiece, and look at what happened. It happened exactly the way the Lord said it would. And then if we could go over to Exodus 12, we're going to look at the, the wonder that the Lord did by smiting the firstborn in Egypt. Um, chapter 12, verse 12, the Lord said, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And if you go over to 29 and 30, Exodus tells us, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. So, again, I take you to all those scriptures because the psalmist tells us, as he's, he's pouring his heart out to the Lord and say, we've committed iniquity, we've done wicked, he's pointing out some of the things that they have done. And he's pointing to the fact that the fathers didn't understand the wonders. They obviously saw the wonders, but they didn't understand the wonders in Egypt. And, and, but they provoked the Lord, you know, at the, at the Red Sea. Um, the next thing is we see in verse, if I can move down to verse 13... And again, we're not touching on every single one of the things that happened to the Israelites, but in verse 13, the psalmist tells us when he's talking again about his fathers, they soon forgot his works, they waited not for his counsel. Um, one thing that I, I want to go here to Exodus uh, 14, but before we go there, I just want to read we're told that they soon forget, but look at in verse 12. After they saw they went, the Lord parted the Red Sea, they all made it through, they turned back and looked, and the Lord brought the water upon the Egyptians that were following them. And the Lord says that there was not one of them left. And it says, after that, when they saw that miraculous provision of the Lord, they believed his words, and they sang praise. But yet... You know, we, we see that they soon uh, forget what he had done. So we're going to go back to Exodus, and we'll just go over a few chapters from where we were. In verse 
12 said that they, they, you know, they, they remembered. And in Exodus here, it gives us just a little more. It says, thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So we're reading what the psalmist is pointing us back and and saying, yes, they believed, but then they soon forget. We we go to Exodus because it tells us a little more about exactly what had happened um, after they saw this miraculous provision of the Lord. So now if we can go to uh, Exodus 15, 1 through 21, we'll continue reading. And the re- reason I'm continuing here is because in Psalm 106, it said in verse 12, the second part, they sang his praise. What we're reading here in Exodus 15, 1 through 21, is literally the song of praise that they gave after they believed uh, the Lord and, and saw what he did. This is what they sang to the Lord. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captives also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed into pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thy excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the water were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them, they sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid, sorrow, shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestinia. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thy arm, they shall be as still as the stone, till thy people pass over. O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of the Pharaoh went in with his chariots, 
and with his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a trimble in her hand, and all the women went out after her with trimbles and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. I've never uh, really thought of chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 21, being a song, but it is a song of praises to the Lord. And again, in context, verse 12, back in Psalm 106, said, They believed his words, which we read in the end of Exodus 14. They sang his praise, and that whole chapter that we just almost read there was their praise. But then we see... Um, they soon forget his works. So what I want to read next is just continue. We stay right in 15, and we're going to read just two verses. So this is after all of the glorious things in this song, talking about the Lord taking the enemy out. Um, the enemy was going to, you know, uh, divide the spoil and, and lust and draw their sword upon the Israelites. They were all wiped out, every single one of them, and all of the plagues that we talked about, God's wonders. And then they sing this beautiful song and they worship the Lord and give him thanks. And it's followed up by verses 22 through 24. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And I won't read all of it, but if, um, if we go back to verse 13, when it says, They soon forgot, between verses 12 and 13, we are reading the account in Exodus of what it is that they forgot. It was only after this miraculous provision from the Lord, they make it through the Red Sea, they look back, their enemy is wiped out, and they continue, the scripture tells us, Moses brought them from Israel, from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness, so they were getting ready for their wilderness journey. They were only out there three days, three days, um, and they soon forgot his works, and they waited not for his counsel. So obviously uh, a lot of applications there, but I'd like to look at the, um, when we talk about not waiting for the council, they soon forget. How many times have we, I can, I can just speak for myself, how many times have I seen the Lord do something miraculous? Um, you know, I attribute it to him and, you know, uh, 20 minutes later, a day later, something can be happening and I soon forget the mighty power that the Lord you know, had, had did. And sometimes, as the scripture tells us, not only did they forget, but they did not wait for his counsel. And then we see they went into uh, lusting exceedingly in the, in the wilderness. So um, this waiting uh, for counsel of the Lord, you know, we should always, we should continually try to be um, walking with the Lord in, in a way in which we're always, you know, waiting for his counsel. Um, but I just had a cross-reference here, uh, Proverbs twenty twenty four says that a man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his way? 
um, you know, they they were not, even though they saw all of this, they soon forgot because, see, they were looking at their circumstance at the time. They went through all that. They saw his provision, and they said, three days, oh, the water's bitter. We can't drink it. Like God can't provide after he just did everything that he did, but they soon forgot three days, and not only that, but now they weren't waiting for his counsel. They were, they were going about, and again, as Christians, don't we want to the best the Lord has for us? And yes, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to sin, but again, if you, you take the analogy of the sheep, we are very similar to, to sheep. I know we, we think we're a lot smarter, but um, the Lord is our shepherd. He, he will lead us and he will guide us. But so often, we, we, we're like that sheep that go out grazing and, you know, we decide we're going to roll over and rest a little bit and all of a sudden, you know, we can't get back up again. Um, so it's always good to wait for the Lord's counsel. And then the lusting exceedingly in verse 14, I won't go there. Uh, last week we talked in Numbers uh, verses 11 or Chapter 11, verses um, 4 through 6. But this is where they weren't happy with God's provision of manna. And again, we talk that manna was what God chose to provide them. The, it wasn't that the food necessarily that they wanted was bad, but it was representing the life that they had back in Egypt. So they weren't wanting to wait for the Lord's counsel. And then they lusted um, exceedingly. Psalm 78, if you're taking notes, 27 through 29, is just uh, further scripture to support what we're reading here. It says, the psalmist in 78, verses 27 through 29, He, being the Lord, rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea, and he let it fall in the midst of their camp, round about their habitations, so they did eat and were filled, for he gave them their own desires. And again, we're not going to develop that point a whole lot, but we, we know um, from verse 15, he says they, he gave them what they wanted. That's, they, they weren't satisfied with the manna. So he gave them what they wanted. We just saw from the other uh, Psalm 78, he, he, he rained down fowls from, from the sky for them, um, but he sent leanness unto their soul. And um, the two scriptures, you can always remember 4.4, 4, Matthew 4.4 4 and Luke 4.4. 4. Um, I won't quote them exactly, but um, they are talking where man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You can correlate it to manna. Manna was all that they needed per the Lord's instructions, to get by in this wilderness journey. That's all that they needed. But they were not content with what the Lord had. They wanted more. And, you know, the application for us is, you know, we, we get in a dangerous place when we are desiring more than what is necessary. You know, what is necessary? The word is necessary. The word tells us that prayer is necessary. And the word tells us that fellowship uh, is necessary. And, you know, so w we should be asking ourselves, again, I, I'm not standing in judgment of the Israelites, but after everything they saw, they soon forgot what the Lord did and they didn't wait for his counsel, but then 
lusted exceedingly. This should encourage us to, no matter what's going on in our life, that we would, both physically and spiritually, we'd be asking the Lord, you know, what do you have for me, Lord? What, what is your plan for me? What do you say is sufficient for me? Not what I think. Um, it's a matter of our heart. You know, we want to do it his way. His way for the Israelites would have been being content with the manna. Every day they went, there was a fresh supply of it. But for them, it got old. They were looking back. They wanted the leeks and the onions. So again, the application is we can truly live by every word of God right here. We don't need some super experience of or, or emotion. Um, we have everything that we need. The Lord has given it to us. And then we see, and if we skip down to 19, I'm just going to make reference. We're not going to go any cross-references. Uh, it would be Exodus 32, 1 through 8 if you wanted for your notes, but we talked about it last week. But where Moses, uh, you know, went up on the mountain and it wasn't coming back, they got impatient and they decided they wanted a, a calf uh, that they could, uh, a golden calf that could be worshipped worshiping the image so this was another thing that the psalmist was saying our fathers have committed iniquity we've done wickedly he's just pointing out um, many of of the different things that happen and then the next one is verse 24 where it says that yea or yes they despised the pleasant land they believed not his word the Lord had told them that he was going to lead them. He had taken them out of bondage in, in Egypt, yet they despised the pleasant land. And the pleasant, uh, the pleasant land here, um, not going real far, I mean, obviously it's pleasant, but the despised part means to cast away or actually refuse or reject. So it wasn't like, oh, I just don't like this pleasant land. They literally were refusing or rejecting going to the pleasant land, and they did not believe his word. So they did not trust what the Lord said would be good. And I wrote a few notes for myself here. Again, thinking about the Lord using uh, in the scriptures reference to us being sheep, to our Lord and Savior being the good shepherd, and what I read earlier from Philip Keller, um, we learned that the sheep really don't know where the good grazing is. They will, they have to know where to be led to where to go. They, they have to be, as we learned, on the move. Um, they can go out and think they're laying down, and if the shepherd doesn't find them, they can die in a couple hours. So I guess my point is, the, the, the sheep need a shepherd, and we have the good shepherd. So what makes us think that we really know what's best for us? Um, you know, the Lord is the one that knows. You know, if you, if you want to look at a, a painter, perhaps, or an architect, or a designer, they know from the beginning to the end what it is that they're building, what it is that they're painting. They, even though there's a few paint strokes on the canvas, they know what it's going to end up being, that painter. The canvas doesn't know. The paint doesn't know, but it is the painter or the architect building the building. Well, our Lord knows what's best for us. So, you know, we need to, unlike our example here that we can learn from, our scar, if you will, 
we can learn that we shouldn't despise what the Lord has for us and we need to believe his word. It's up to him. It's, it's, he, he has promised. He will guide us. He will direct us. He is the good shepherd. He will lead us into green pastures. It is his job and it's his own word that he, you know, he stakes his word higher than his own name. He is going to do it. What we need to do is we need to be that sheep that is going to follow the shepherd and not be the one that is going off on, on his or own. Uh, and then, so those are just a few of the things of the plight of the children of Israel. And I'd like to talk in our remaining few minutes here about the power of God. If you read... The scriptures that we read tonight, it's laced with all kinds of provision and wonders and power from the Lord. Um, But I just wanted to look at verses 9 through 11. I skipped over them when we were going through the different areas because I just wanted to reread them again. Verse 9, he rebuked the Red Sea also and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. So the application is God provided for them. Um, In context, you know, when they were led out of Egypt, I don't know the name of the exact area, but when they were approaching the Red Sea, they they knew the, the Egyptians were coming but they had got to the where they were being led. And, I mean, the water was there. There was no way they were going to get out. I had a study years ago, and I called it tight corners. They were in a tight corner, and the Lord supernaturally provided for them. And not only that, he also redeemed them from the hand of their enemy, the Egyptians, that they were under slavery for so long, and now the Egyptians were, were following them. The Lord did all of that. So, you know, again, whenever I read the scripture, I always have to ask myself, you know, what has the Lord led, you know, me through? What has he led you through when you thought that you were in that tight corner? It could be financially, it could be um, raising your children, it could be health issues, whatever it might be. You know, has there not been times when we've been in tight corners? And, you know, what's God leading you through right now that's difficult for you? The point is, he is there. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere and all-powerful. There's nothing that gets by his eye. He sees it all. And I guess the rhetorical question that we have to ask ourselves, look at what he did for the children of Israel. Will God or can God be any less faithful this time in our lives or the next time, any less faithful than he was to the children of Israel? Absolutely not. What impossible passage has God maybe dried up for you? I don't know. It's some obstacle that's been there, um, something that came upon you that you're just thinking, you know, I can't do this. And the Lord has, in a sense, parted the Red Sea, opened up the passageway, and, and let you through, and then on top of it all, just toppled your enemy, whatever that might be that was um, chasing you. 
I just think it's good for us to, to always be uh, retrospect and, and ask the, those questions of ourselves because the God we serve is no less powerful than the God that we read what he did miraculously and that we should pray for hearts that would not be like the example we have here where they, they witnessed these amazing things, yet they soon forgot and then what took over is they didn't want to wait for the Lord and they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. Um, I know we have some examples, and, and for time of uh, sake of time, I won't go through them. But we, my wife and I, especially when we were in Poland, we had some severe times, tight corners, you can say. And at the time, I, I can't say that I was, you know, trusting the Lord like, oh, I know this, you know, the Lord's going to take care of it. Now, when I look back, I mean. He was parting that Red Sea for us. He was taking care of us. And again, it's not that bad things can't happen. It's not that God's a genie. But the point is God is faithful. And he will do what's necessary to take care of his children. And then if we can move on to uh, verses 10 and 11. I just read those. But when I talk here, I want to talk about he saved them and he redeemed them. He physically saved them from the bondage that they were in to Egypt and Pharaoh and from the enemies that were chasing them. Um, it reminds me, Pastor White, I think it was two Sundays ago, talked about Boaz. It reminded me um, of Boaz, who was Ruth's uh, kinsman. And that, that word kinsman there is the uh, same Hebrew word as the word redeemed here in Psalm one oh. Six. It's the exact same Hebrew word. Um, so kinsman and redeemed is, is basically the same word. But hasn't God reached down through his son to free us from the grip that Satan had on us? Here, they were, the children of Israel were under bondage of the Egyptian, under the rule of Pharaoh. He had them in bondage. They were slaves, and they were on the run. And what did the Lord do? He re, the verse tells us he redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Well, isn't that what the Lord has done for us? By what's been done on the cross through his blood? He reached down, the Lord, through his son, to free us from the grip of Satan. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us we are bought with a price. Or we could say, redeemed or kinsman redeemer we've been bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit and then ephesians 1 verses 13 through 14 tell us uh, talking about the lord when paul was writing this in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom af also after you believed you were sealed with that holy spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And then we move over to, if you'll go to the last four or five verses in Psalm 106, just wanted to talk about the, the promises of God. And, and I have just a few points here and then we'll, we'll finish up. But what I saw there in verse 43 despite everything that they did, and we skipped over a lot of it, despite everything that the children of God did, it said in verse 43, many times he delivered them. Unfortunately, they provoked him, but he delivered them. 
uh, cross-reference for us uh, New Testament believers, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 9 through 11. I'll read it. It says, speaking of deliverance, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver, in whom we trust that we will yet deliver us, yet also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks be given many on your behalf. So the Lord, in that case, Paul was writing to the the Corinthians and telling them how the Lord had delivered him. The promises of God. Galatians 1.4 says, speaking again of Christ, He who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. The uh, Israelites, uh, through Moses leading them, I mean ultimately the Lord, but uh, Moses uh, leading them, we, we learn that they were redeemed from the hand of the enemy. They were delivered. Well, we were delivered um, by our Lord and Savior by coming to this earth to die for us. And then um, 106 verse 44 talks about, nevertheless, so he delivers them many times, they continue to provoke him, but nevertheless he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. So, you know, again, uh, Hebrews 4.15 says, we have a high priest talking about Jesus who knows our infirmities. He, he hears us. He might not always answer us the way we want or when we want, but nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. The Lord hears our cry. He hears, you know, when our utterings, our groanings, when we're, we're speaking to him about the afflictions that we're going through. And then lastly, I'd like to just talk about uh, verse 44. He says, Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to his mercies. His covenant. In, in Psalms here, it's referring back to the Old Testament. God made his covenant with his chosen people. We know that we have been grafted in, and through uh, Jesus' blood, a way has been made for us Um, to enter into this covenant. And I'd like to just uh, finish with Colossians 1, uh, verses 16 through 22. I will read it for us. And it says, For by him, meaning Christ, of course, we are all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by by him to reconcile all things unto himself, By him I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, in you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. 
So we have entered into a covenant with the Lord because, and we can do it only because Jesus, through his blood, has made a way. Just like the Lord was faithful to his covenant to his people, and they, they finished the psalm, the psalmist saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, in verse 48, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, I just ask that um, the words that we, we read tonight, your words, I pray that they would encourage us, um, that we would learn, Lord, the examples that you have for us. We just acknowledge that we are like sheep, sheep that go astray, that you are the good shepherd. We just ask that these, um, your words, the scriptures would just uh, minister to our hearts and that uh, we can be encouraged, Lord, to be led by you. That means putting uh, aside our will, our thoughts, our plans, and allowing you to lead us into the land that you want us for us, Lord. And I just thank you uh, so much for your faithfulness. I thank you for these pictures that we have that can encourage us in these uh, trying and difficult times. Um, and just just help us to be led in, uh, forth into the green uh, pastures, Father, and to trust you. And we love you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.